Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Hey, my name is Jeremy. Welcome here. I preach here, and I'm delighted that you're here to worship with us today as well. Uh, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll continue in worship. Father, we're thankful um, for the beautiful weather. We're thankful for many things that we see that are good. We're also thankful for the things we can't see that we know you have done and are doing and will do. And so, Lord, as uh, we come in here this morning from whatever situation we're in, um, whatever we encountered this morning, whatever we're going through right now, whatever we experience this week, we pray that you would um, calm our minds and clear our thoughts and bless our hearts and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. What we've been doing the last few weeks, if you've been here, you know, if you haven't, just a quick refresher, uh, is we've been going through the book of Judges. We're not doing every single judge, but we're looking at some stories from the Old Testament that are quite a bit different than what we experience today. And we've seen that judges are not necessarily judges like we think of, like people in robes sitting behind a bench, dropping a gavel. No. Instead, what these are are tribal leaders or sort of warrior types that God sent to deliver his people from a really bad situation. And what we see throughout that whole thing then is basically that judges points to Jesus. This pattern of sin and apostasy and a rebellion and then discipline and repentance and deliverance is not just something that happened in the Old Testament and the people of Israel. But it's something that we live in, a, a, a pattern or process that we live in even today. At some point, we see ourselves in this cycle. We're either sinning or repenting of sin or being delivered or being blessed. That's basically the way life goes. And a lot of times, we could be doing multiple things at once. So what we're doing then to, today is we're continuing with that, is we're looking at this guy by the name of Gideon. We're going to do that in two parts. We're going to look at today his call, and then next week uh, his conquest. So first, when God calls Gideon to do what God wants him to do, that's deliver his people, and then next week when he actually does it. And then we're going to do a couple more weeks of, uh, a few more weeks of Judges, and then it'll be summertime. And since Judges has been pointing to Jesus, this summer we will look at Jesus, particularly in the first three chapters of Mark, we're going to take 13 weeks to look at just in depth the exciting and powerful experiences that people have when they encounter Christ. What does it mean to all of a sudden be walking along in your daily walk and boom, there's this guy and it's like, wow, who is he? And this is crazy. And the more I looked at this series coming up in the summer, I'm still excited about Judges, but the more I looked at this one coming up, I was like, wow, this is going to be cool. So, that's kind of where we're at, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going in only a few moments. So today we're looking at Judges 6 and 7, and it's a long story, so I'm not going to read everything in this section. So what I'm hoping is that you'll go home and read these chapters on your own so you can fill in the stuff that I did not cover. I'm just going to hit the big points or the highlights, and then you can go back and sort of fill in the gap. But basically what we're going to see in this text is that there's a problem and then a solution and then an application. Uh, Gideon's going to have an issue, a problem, and God provides him with a solution. It's different than what he expects, but it works. 
And then we will see from his life and his pattern how to apply that process to our lives and our patterns as well. So problem, solution, application, and the same pattern in Gideon that we've seen all throughout the book with the people's sin, God disciplines, uh, they repent, he sends a deliverer, and then there's peace. So I, I highlighted and put in bold those words on these slides. You can follow along in the slides or your Bible, uh, whatever works best for you. But this is Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says this, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because, the, because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East would come up against them. And they would camp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste to the land and as, as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. So there's the sin and the call out. Now in verse 11, here comes the call of Gideon, the deliverer. It says this, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joas, that Abizrat, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And then in verse 14, it says, And the Lord turned to him again and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Do I not send you? So at this point, it seems pretty clear, right? Like there's the sin, there's the discipline, there's the call out for help, and now God is sending this deliverer. So what you would anticipate is, okay, now the deliverer jumps up, he goes in, and he saves everybody. But as it turns out, the deliverer has a bit of an issue. He doesn't want to obey. He doesn't want to follow. He doesn't trust God. He doesn't believe. What he sees ahead of him seems to be a bit overwhelming. And so he's got, naturally, some questions. In other words, I don't like my life. I don't like what you're doing, God. I'm not sure if I want to follow you. Sound familiar? Verse 13. Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord... If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Have you asked that question? If you are with me, Lord, why has this happened? And where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now, surely, the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Gideon, chapter 6. There's your deliverer. <laughs> not exactly the 
knight in shining armor, the hero that we had all been hoping for. What's happening is that Gideon, like Barak, an, an earlier judge, is a bit hesitant. And the reader then naturally has to ask the question, well, why? Like, clearly, multiple times, God has said to you, go. Why are you not going? What's holding you back? What's in the way? And verse six or 15 pretty much makes that really clear. It says this, Gideon says, behold... My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. In other words, what's happening to Gideon here is something that happens to us very frequently, is that basically Gideon has blinders on. What he as a person knows is here in front of me is this overwhelming obstacle. I see the Midianites. They're like locusts. There's actually... Uh, later on in chapter 8, tells us about 120,000 of them. Not only that, but they had mounted Calvary. We don't. Um, we are in a bad position. And of all the people to call God, God, you chose me. I'm like not even the strongest. My family's not the biggest. I don't get it. In other words, what he's doing is he is zeroed in and focused on the problem and focused on himself. And when he looks at those two things, he says, they don't add up. They just don't. This does not make sense. And he's right. He's actually quite right. But that's just a point. You see, what's happening here is that God is trying to show his power, his greatness, and his grace. And if God chose some mighty warrior who in and of his own self and his own strength could deliver the people of Israel without any help, it would be no big deal. People would say, yay, Gideon, good job. But the point is not for the people to say, yay, Gideon, good job. But instead, the point is for the people to say, wow, God, that was amazing. I can't believe you did that with that. Wow. Here's why God chose Gideon. It's because Gideon was not good enough. Because Gideon was not strong enough. Because Gideon, by winning the victory, would bring glory to God. Poor Gideon, however, he just can't get there. He's looking at the obstacle in front of him, and basically that's all that he can see. And what he doesn't realize, here's the point of today's sermon. This, can help, this is how this helps you in your life. Listen carefully. Here it is. Is that in order for Gideon to move forward, he actually needs to look back. In order for Gideon to move forward... He needs to look back. Here's what I mean by this is basically this. Sometimes we, we see this problem in front of us and we say, yep, that's overwhelming. I can't handle it. It's too big. I'm not good enough. I don't have the resources. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not whatever. And actually, you're quite right. It's true. That thing in front of you may be too big for you in and of yourself to handle But that's just the point. In order for God to show himself great in your life, what you have to do is have an obstacle that you can't overcome that could only be overcome with him. But if you look and you see that obstacle and you get focused in on your ability and and that obstacle, all of a sudden your faith and your stamina and your belief just goes right through the floor. So what do you do? Stare at it more? No, that's only going to make it worse. But maybe if I just look hard enough, I can figure out the solution. Absolutely not. Because you don't know the future. 
You have no idea what God is going to do. It's impossible for you to know the way that God is going to solve this issue in your life. You can't know that. So what do I do? Do I lose hope? No. What I do instead is I check my rearview mirror. I look back. And as I look back, what I see in my path behind me is that all those insurmountable obstacles of the path litter the landscape. There are so many times in my life when I look back and think, oh yeah, wait, I used to be afraid of that. I used to think that was impossible. There was no way I could get through that. And now there it is, like way back there. Do you remember how God came through and we got by that? Do you remember how God came through and we got by that? Do you remember when he delivered us there? Wow, and when you start to count those up, all of a sudden you realize there's a whole lot more behind me than ahead of me. And I see those mountains and I see this one and I start to think, you know what? Here's the thing. What God has done in the past is both a pattern and a paradigm for what he will do in the future. But he's too creative to do the same thing twice. Dr. James Allman. What God has done in the past is a pattern and paradigm for what he'll do in the future, but he's too creative to do the same exact thing twice. So you look back and you see all these incidences of deliverance and obstacles that are overcome, and you think, okay, I know that's a pattern. I know he won't do it exactly the same way, but he's going to do something. What will it be? I don't know, but I'm going to trust him for it. What would have happened if Gideon would have done that? In this chapter, if you go back and read it on your own, you'll hear them recounting the past, and there's a reason for it. It's not, not because they're history buffs. It's because they love God, and they want to see what he did, and if they see what he did in the past, they know he'll do something even greater in the future. And so they look back, and Gideon, if he would have done so, he would have said, oh yeah, I remember one of those obstacles. What was it? Armies of Egypt. What happened to them? Oh, they're buried beneath the Red Sea. Remember those giants of Jericho that we were all afraid of? (laughs) The walls came down on them. They're done. The Mesopotamians, the Moabites, the Philistines, the Canaanites, all of these people have been defeated by judges that came before me. Now, I'm called to be a judge. What do I think God's going to do? Well, he's probably not going to use me the same way he used them because I'm different than them, but he used each of them in their own individual, unique way. Maybe, perhaps, God will use me in my own individual, unique way as well. Well, I'm not so sure. Those guys must have been great military commanders, right? Well, let's see here. Um, There was a shepherd by the name of Moses. There's an executive assistant by the name of Joshua. There are a whole bunch of middle managers who you probably don't even remember their names, Athenial, Ehud, and Shamgar. And there was this little gypsy girl who lived out in a tent underneath a tree by the name of Jael. Through them, God parts waters, brings down walls, eliminates kings, takes out generals, and drops giants. With what? A staff, a trumpet, an oversized pocket knife, a tent peg, and a slingshot. 
what do you think you need to serve God? (laughs) It's not a whole lot. Probably most of you already have way more than that. The reality is this. God, in his great wisdom, does not take the best. He takes the most humble. God, in his great wisdom, does not take the person who has the most, but simply the person who is willing to let him use it. That's the way God works. All throughout Scripture. In fact, he even tells you that. He says, this is what I do. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here it is on the screen. God chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chooses what is low and despised, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Ordinary people, very, very ordinary people, just like you and just like me, God uses to do extraordinary things. How much more, Hebrews says, then do I need to say? It would take too long if we want to look back and try to recount all of these stories like the faith of, oh, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Their paths litter our past. By these ordinary people, God overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and God's people received what God had promised to them. They shut the mouths of lion, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. And look at this. Their weakness, God turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Church, do you see the pattern here? Do you see this? It doesn't matter who you are or what you have. If you are willing, God will take whatever it is that is in your hand and bless it. Willingness trumps weakness every time. What do you think is going to happen to Gideon? Go ahead and read the rest of the story this week. What do you think is going to happen to you? Well, the pages aren't written yet, but they will be. And I guarantee you what God has done in the past is a pattern and paradigm for what he'll do in the future, but he's too creative to do the same thing twice. God will use you. He will overcome that obstacle. And it is too big for you. But if you believe him, follow his call, humble yourself and give what you have to him, he'll use it. Staff, slingshot, nail, tent peg, whatever. God can do it. I want to give you a couple specific challenges before we close this morning on that. These are very particular. They may or may not apply to you, but hey, if they do, great. If not, think of something else. (laughs) Here's a couple examples. You want to do something for God? Here's one opportunity our church has given you just last week. This summer, there's an opportunity for one time for you to serve in children's ministry. Just one time. Oh, I'm not good at children. Gideon wasn't good at war. (laughs) If you pass the background check, you pass. (laughs) That means you're good. (laughs) That's it. 
God can use whatever you have for his glory. Look, you have a chance to serve in children's ministry. You have another chance. A couple weeks ago, we said, okay, you're not ready for a foreign mission trip. How about a local one? This summer, July 20th through 22nd, we're going to Grove Park and serving people in our community for the purpose of bringing the gospel and glory of God to them. Because sometimes they just don't come to us, right? We've got to go to them. So here's your chance. Grove Park. I hope that's a very small attendant Sunday. <laughs> I want to look out here and see half of you because the rest of you are gone serving others. And finally, you heard this morning how you can give. You know what? <laughs> Again, it's not about the monster donation. If you can do that, great. But at the end of the day, if you just take what's in your hand and you're consistent, you sign up for online giving and you say, boom, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. This is my church. I'm here and I want to be part of the team. Here it is. I commit to giving this amount consistently every week. There's three ways. Go, give, serve. It's simple. And we're scared to do it because we know the future is uncertain. So we want to hold that stuff back and not commit. You know, commitment, ooh, not so sure. But when we start talking like that, I think we could just jump right into the pages of this text and say, I sound kind of like that, don't I? And I started to look at my life this week, and man, oh man, did I need to confess. I mean, so many things. That I had to say, God, I am so sorry for doubting you. Oh, man. So many times I've worried. So many times I've been afraid. And how do you think that makes God feel? Can you, can you imagine how that makes him feel? If, if, if I'm afraid, what am I essentially saying? God, I'm not sure if you're big enough to take care of this. If, if I don't think he's there, what am I saying? Then maybe he doesn't care. If I don't think he's going to act, am I saying he doesn't love me? I can go all through, all through this list and say, man, God could think I'm doubting his power, doubting his love, doubting his willingness, doubting his care, or doubting his reach. Maybe his arm just can't reach out there and touch me. How do you think that makes him feel? How would that make your spouse or significant other feel if you say, I'm not sure if you care? Oh, I care. Look at all I've done for you. Well, blah, blah, blah. That's not a way to a good relationship. You've got to believe that God does care, that he is able, that he is willing, and he does love and will do. It doesn't mean that we get exactly what we want, but it does mean that we get what's best. And if what's best is an insurmountable obstacle straight in front of us that we can't handle, then that's what God wants. And whatever way it is, whether it's around, through, over, under, or a different route, that's the route for you. That's the route that God has. Man, when you look back in the past, what do you see? The next few moments, we're going to get ready to take communion. We always give a little bit of quiet time, no matter how we do it, to give you time to reflect. That's a great time for you to look back. That's why we do communion, is to look back on the cross. Now remember, God's not going to do the cross again. It's done, right? But what he did in the past is a pattern for what he'll do in the future. What happened to Jesus? He was raised. What will happen to us? Even though we die like him, we will be raised. Look back, expect with joy and hope and see the miracles of the past and think about what God will do in the future. 
The problem is this. When we're overwhelmed by the obstacle that's ahead of us, we get focused in and we have blinders on. But the solution is when we review the past, all of a sudden we see God's faithfulness over and over and over again. And as a result, our faith grows and we can live today in the face of insurmountable obstacles knowing that because he was faithful in the past, he will be faithful in the future as well. Listen to this. I got 10 seconds left. Here it is. Gideon's call. God called him a mighty warrior. Was he a mighty warrior at this point? No, by no means. He was hiding. He was hanging out, trying to stay low, not be noticed. God says, hey, mighty warrior, get up. My question to you is this. What would God call you today? God called you just like he called Gideon. What would he say? Hey, patient husband. Supportive wife who never criticizes questions or condemns. Obedient child. Faithful church member. Peacemaker. Listener. Evangelist. You call me an evangelist? Yes. You have a mouth. You can speak. Go in the strength you have and deliver your people. God uses the weak to confound the wise. He uses a staff, a tent peg, a nail, whatever, it doesn't matter. God can use you. Father, we're thankful for Jesus, our Savior, who does great and amazing things. Admittedly, I feel like Gideon all the time. Like, really? You want me to do what? That's not possible. And I'm right. It's not. Not with me. Not with us, but Lord, with you. So we pray that as we take some time for quietness and reflection now, as we review the past and look forward to the future, that you'll bring those things to mind, places where you have stepped out and delivered us and cause us to repent, Lord, and ask forgiveness for the times we've doubted, feared, or been afraid. Lord, help us to trust you. Our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. God, make us strong. In Jesus' name, amen.